So we would manipulate objects and we would put them in a certain way so it looked like a character. Lunatic Fantastique was both childlike and full of wonder, but also really deep and moving. And our goal was to make people cry with toilet paper, and we did. Welcome to another episode of the Interesting People Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Viner, a theater teacher. How's it going, Jessica? Hi, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. So you are a theater teacher, and you also have a background in puppetry. Yes. What got you into teaching? I've always loved theater, so teaching theater seems like a fair connection to make. Throughout the years, I've been acting, I've been directing productions, I've been making puppets, and at some point along the way, these things have a lot to do with teaching. So, like, directing is that not teaching you know, the presenters or the performers how to come to a production, so that seems fair and logical. And my master's is in theater education, so at some point along the way, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to make it official, and I'm going to go back and get a degree in teaching to take theater into the classroom. You're from out west, right? Yes and no. My heart is, oh my goodness, I definitely <laughs> left my heart in San Francisco, but I'm from Maryland. I grew up in Howard County, and I moved out west. I moved to California after I got my undergrad and theater from the University of Maryland. And actually, not just out west in California, but I also lived in Hawaii working for a theater company out there as well. That had to have been beautiful. What kind of theater do they do in Hawaii? Well, there's a beautiful variety of theater in Hawaii. Just like anywhere you go, there's a nice whole variety of things. I ended up working with MAPA, which is the Maui Academy of Performing Arts. The sector within which I worked was a children's theater touring company. What a blessing. We were paid to go to present theater to student groups around every single island in Hawaii. We were paid to make theater like a part of their day-to-day lives. I'm like, I'm getting paid to do this. Like, I would pay to do this. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was that, and it was watching kids get sparked with the love of both theater and storytelling, and that was a children's theater and puppetry component as well. So just wonderful theater magic was happening out there. From my notes, I see it looked like you studied at Emerson College for a while, right? That's right. My master's is theater education from Emerson College in Boston. So I was living in New England there for a handful of years. I was working there and studying and acting and teaching some outreach programs as well as some theater programs. And ultimately, I ended up getting hired to teach on the East Coast. This sounds like something out of the Hunger Games, a Peace Games coordinator. Was that your title up there? Yes, the Peace Games. Maybe not like the fantasy fairy tale of Hunger Games, but it was a huge part of who I am and how I roll. Well, I was hired from Emerson College. Jennifer Greer Morrissey was my boss. And basically, she asked me to help coordinate my peers as well as myself being Peace Games workers. We would go into a variety of school programs and school systems, not always, but often in struggling communities, and to give them tools on how best to communicate and how to create peace within their community. I would bring a creative artistic component, but it could be literature-based, it could be movement-based, but the idea of giving them language to communicate how they're feeling so even if something is tense or uncomfortable, they can use words and language to communicate it versus a non-peaceful choice. So in a way, it's like nonviolent conflict resolution. And we were doing that within classrooms as young as elementary and spanning up to middle as well. And I got to help people bring that into classrooms. It was such a blessing. So emotional education as well as theater education. Yes, and theater really wasn't the main component. That's just who I am, so that's what I bring. But these people were everything from students that were not majoring in theater. There were people volunteering for AmeriCorps that were a part of this as well. I love that you said emotional education. We would never call it that, but that is exactly what it was. And on the puppet side of things, you were a part of Lunatique Fantastique? 
So yes, Lunatic Fantastique, or we called it Loon Fan for short, and that was based in San Francisco, and that was run by the artistic director and founder, Libby Wessel, and she was literally and is still, she's a genius. Like, she's a mastermind of all things, not just puppetry, but, like, found object puppetry. We wouldn't construct puppets or Muppets, although I love Muppet-style puppetry. Her work was more found objects. You know when you watch a Pixar movie before it starts, the little lamp jumps on a ball, and he's cute, and he gets embarrassed when he pops the ball? Yeah. So that little lamp, he's moving the way a lamp needs to move, but he's also showing you a character. So we would manipulate objects, and we would put them in a certain way so it looks like a character. And we told stories that were both charming and uplifting and childlike. There's a whole show called The Wrapping Paper Caper, where we like animated wrapping paper, but it looked like a little girl, a man detective. So there was like different objects that could become characters. But then we also did work with them that was really earth-shatteringly powerful. Actually, through Loon Fan, we run the best of the San Francisco Fringe Festival for a beautiful show called Fixed Boundaries. And it was all about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict but it was told through a cute character made of toilet paper and how you or I, if we had a childlike perspective, may just see us all as one people, but the characters are taught, no, we're divided. We're divided people. We have different sides, and how do they deal with that? Lunatic Fantastique was both childlike and full of wonder, but also really deep and moving, and our goal was to make people cry with toilet paper, and we did. And it's also, I would imagine, a little bit more easy to inspire in the fact that if a child or someone watched this, they could then take normal items and start doing puppetry instead of having to afford a puppet or something like that. I love that statement. Yes, it's so true, and actually, we were really big on that, specifically when we did children's-based theater work. We would have the students come up after, and we would say, like, touch this puppet. Hold it. Look, it's just a scarf, or it's just wrapping paper but when you move it this way it can become this it was so amazing and cute to watch them have that light bulb go off like i have this at home i can animate at home what was your first experience with puppetry how'd you really get into it for me i would say always i feel like in a way i'm going cheesy on you we're all puppeteers because when we were little we all picked up an object and made it move and had it be a little something if it was a little figurine that was like look i'm the good guy i'm the bad guy yeah we were puppeteering and we didn't know it we're just playing make-believe so i feel like puppetry is just a formal way of saying you know what i'm willing to make believe that these are characters, that they have a truth, that they have a story. So I think as little as like a little person, a little child, animating stuff was fun. And then I would watch on Sesame Street or the Muppets, Muppet movies, and be like, oh, like they're puppets. I always knew they were puppets, but I also believed that their characters had truth to share. It was like make believe, but also powerful. And I always loved it. And somewhere along the way, I think it clicked. I'm like, I could do that. I could not just appreciate it, but I can actually do that. And actually, funny story, I went in my undergrad in my sophomore year of college at the University of Maryland College Park. I was in a program called the Scholars Program, so Scholars in the Arts, I highly recommend. And I went to the head of my program, and I was like, hey, I really want to learn about puppetry. And I hadn't really pursued it yet. There was no internet. I couldn't, like, Google, like, puppetry or, like, how to puppet or watch YouTube videos. Like, none of that existed. And I was like, how do I learn more? And then the head of the program said, do you want to teach a course to your peers through the Scholars in the Arts program on puppetry? And I was like, yes, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about it. I better learn fast. And so my entire winter break, I just lived at the library and I read everything I could. I was like a hungry, ravenous reader and I read everything I could in puppetry. And I came in and I taught my peers about how to build Muppet-style puppets. That was movable, jaw, fully expressive character hand and rod puppet and we did an adaptation of the midsummer night's dream with puppets because we were all learning together 
how to do it. Which character did you play? There were a handful, but mine was Bottom. So I got to be the braggart actor Bottom, and he both had this like funny furry beard, which was cute because when he turned into a donkey, his hat has little holes in the top, and I stuck his donkey ears in there. And so when he was hee-hawing as a donkey, Bottom already started to look like he could have been a donkey because he was a little furry already and a little confident already. It was fun. Do you have a focus on youth theater and puppetry? Is that something you bring in through after-school programs? Have you found a way to involve puppetry into your teaching? Sort of all of the above. My formal position is theater education, so it's important to me that my students leave knowing the formality of acting and directing and playwriting and producing theater and all that. But in addition, I always try and tie a unit in, hopefully, hopefully annually, at least hopefully once a year, of puppetry in some form. More often than not, it may be found object puppetry one year, shadow puppetry another year. I try and use shadow and light work in my plays and puppetry in my plays as much as possible. My shoot for the moon goal is to have a puppet at least one in every play that I do that's not happened I think we've featured a puppet in at least I would say maybe around half of the plays that I've done and if not puppetry then the idea of exaggerated physical expression and exaggerated characters you're a high school level teacher yes I am oh so those are some of the bigger productions you can do have you guys done Phantom of the Opera Peter Pan we have not done Phantom we daydream about doing Phantom all the time you can ask our tech director and our set builder they're all Every year, our set designer, he's like, Phantom? Like, he's, he's just ready for Phantom. He's brilliant. <laughs> we have done Peter Pan. Actually, Peter Pan is one of my favorite stories of all time. I think J.M. Barry was a really imaginative, creative writer. And we did Peter Pan actually just recently, not this past fall, but the previous fall. And that was incredible and magical. Do you guys do any wire work? Ooh, I have so many thoughts on that. It's sort of a loaded question, and I know that you didn't mean for it to be. Oh, we no. have flown our actors before, including Peter Pan. We flew for Peter Pan, and previously we did Wizard of Oz, and we flew for Wizard of Oz, both like the Flying Monkey and the Witch, the Wicked Witch, and also the Hot Air Balloon. So we do fly. It's a rather large expense, but it's one that theater companies save up for, so every so often you get that magical spectacle. The reason why I say it's a loaded question is, unfortunately, recently our county has started to be a little more stringent on certain policies and some schools that would love to fly are being told that they can't fly and it's a little heartbreaking because that's part of the magic of theater and one of the proverbial tricks in our bag to get to use so hopefully that policy gets updated so flight is once again awesome because it's, it's very safe it's full of a lot of thoughtful precautions by professional companies it's, it's just it's magic it's pure magic to to watch unfold and i have to imagine it's also a wonderful experience for the stage crew students as well oh my gosh it's like it's incredible i don't know if i can fully express to you and articulate the idea of going from a rehearsal like oh i know i'm supposed to be flying in this scene like oh i'm peter pan or i'm the wicked witch yeah yeah, yeah i'll be flying into learning how to fly and being like i am now flying and thank goodness for the technical team that's helping to make it fly just that level of trust and gratitude and spectacle to know if i pull this cord in this way this person goes across the stage or lands safely it's incredible. It's literally, it's incredible. I think one of the fun things about acting, especially with students, is they can kind of find different aspects of themselves on the stage. With puppetry, are there some shy students that really take to it? Is there, what do you see the students really get out of puppetry? It's the coolest thing. I have seen on so many different occasions in my life the sweet, shy 
beautiful child, put a puppet on, and suddenly they can be a ravenous monster that eats pillows. It like brings like a different side of them. So someone who's shy is free to express. And I'm about to blow your mind because it blows my mind regularly. There is a component of puppetry that actually, I don't do this, I wish I did. There's a component of puppetry that actually is rooted in therapy. There are some students with some extra needs who, let's say, a student who's on the autism spectrum, a student may not be able to communicate with people, but they can look at a puppet and they can have a conversation with a puppet. Puppet brings something magical out of both the student puppeteers, but also the people watching puppetry. As a viewer, we can know, oh, this isn't real, but oh, look at the truth and the possibilities out there. Anything is possible with puppets. They can fly, a kid can find different voices, they can find different ways of expressing themselves. It's incredible. I didn't know about the autism thing. That's incredible. There is a book that I read, I think it's called Life Animated. I saw a feature on the program CBS Sunday Morning, and it blew my mind. The gentleman who wrote it, it it's true. It's his story. He's the father. And he essentially wrote his child was social. And then he stopped and he went into his shell and he stopped communicating with his autism. He wasn't able to express, but he, the father knew that the child had like multiple universes of ideas within his mind that he couldn't get out. And at some point, a couple of years into this, this father decided because he knew his child loved Disney movies so much that he would wear an Iago puppet. And he was just being Iago. And he was like, just ah! like he was just being Iago. And the boy who hadn't had a conversation looked at Iago and just started talking to him just started talking and he hadn't been talking that book life animated i highly recommend it just it's one example of how theater and art is magical and can break down barriers that can be there they can just break it down if someone's interested in getting into puppetry what do you think are some good first level advice first thing first getting involved in puppetry everything you have could be a puppet so for found object puppetry i could literally pick up this water bottle and move it around and suddenly my water bottle is moving across the stage of my desk so there's that idea just to pick up an object you can get puppets from folk manis or local puppet stores or make your own in fact a funny story i don't you probably may or may not know this but jim henson's one of his first puppets he literally accidentally maybe not so accidentally cut up his mother's favorite coat and turned that into kermit he like cut up the coat and he's like this is green fabric look now it's a little guy it's a puppet so i don't recommend people cutting up coats but getting fabric and making their own puppets is great. There's tons of videos online of like how to build a certain style of puppets, including shadow puppetry, hand puppets, Muraku, like you name it. There are also organizations, Puppeteers of America. For someone who's really into puppetry, I've attended something called the Eugene O'Neill National Puppetry Conference, and they meet annually at this beautiful estate. And they get to study with people who are legendary in the industry, people who are involved in Sesame Street and film and TV and international puppetry acclaim. You can go there and study with them, and they're just hungry to teach the next generation of puppeteers. What's your favorite part of teaching? I think my favorite part of teaching is watching my students experience a breakthrough, either by going deeper into a character and expressing some truth within them that they haven't yet done. We may first look at a script and its lines, but then when it becomes true to them and they can express a powerful emotion, that's incredible. Accessing their own voice, accessing their own truth through writing or physical expression or vocal expression. It's that or the like utopia of the coming together in a room, freshman through senior, general and special ed. It's like utopia watching people of all different backgrounds work together towards a common goal of a production or a scene or performance project, I literally feel like I'm in the presence of Utopia when I watch them work together. It's really cool. If budget wasn't a concern or any of that kind of stuff, what production would you love to put on? 
One of my favorites of all time, it's called In the Heights. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda's first big musical that he wrote in college. And not that it's necessarily a big budget show, but I feel like it could be done with a large amount of spectacle with like lights and like design and really fun stuff there. That's one of my favorites. Another one, one of my favorites that we did that I would happily do again in a heartbeat is Into the Woods. The idea of like Sondheim's beautiful fairy tale world going into a darker fairy tale world and still telling the story of the different characters. It sounds like teaching it, being involved in it, hasn't dulled your love of theater. Do you still love going to the theater and seeing new shows? Oh, yes, all the time. I can't get enough. I literally feel like, and I think a lot of theater people may feel this way, I feel like theater is my temple. Like, I just go there and I'm like, look at what we can do as a group of people. Look what we can create. Look at what can come from a group of talented, focused performers, either through design or storytelling or choreography. There's just something beautiful about the big spectacle of theater and about the small, like, intimate moments of one person just breathing on stage and just communicating their character. I could go, and I have gone, to see shows like back to back to back and be like, more! Like, I would love to go again! So, absolutely. I still deeply love it. I end every interview with the exact same question. What has you excited? What are you looking forward to? Ooh, what a wonderful question. A lot of things. I'm really looking forward to the spring musical my students are about to present. We're about to do The Mystery of Edwin Drood, and that's coming out at the end of March, the 22nd to the 25th. We're also a finalist in a national competition to get the rights to do newsies based on the good deeds of our community. We've, quote, seized the day, and now we're a candidate for that. And the last thing I'll say is a very sweet man in my life, who I think was actually interviewed at another point in time, Chris Heady, is working on a beautiful production sponsored by the Atlanta Center for Puppetry Arts, and it's all about a folktale come to the puppet stage called the Custer Wolf, and to watch him get to build and his designs and get to see his vision through, and for me to get to help him in any way that he needs, it's such a cool thing to watch just art come to the stage or puppetry come to the stage. That's some great stuff to be excited about. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.